Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Babbling Pastor podcast with your host, Michael and Ra. Oh my gosh. Did you hear those pipes, guys? It's like a, it's like the angels from heaven over here just seeking. Did the rapture happen? Is that what I hear? Uh, brother. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, So we're not talking about the rapture today. Well, I don't know. Maybe it'll come up a question. We've been going through... We've been going Could through be. the questions submitted over on the Honest Youth Pastor Instagram page. Um, and today, uh, we are going to be answering some more of those. So let's get right into it and see what we got. Man, the last ones, the last couple have been really good. Let's see what we get today. Oh, this is really good. All right. How do we know all the Bible is the, quote, word of God? Could one book, for example, contain things that God does not agree with? I'm not saying we shouldn't trust the Bible, but is uh, but it was written by humans, so isn't it going to have error? Man, look at that. Uh, I, I don't think this is something that you could answer in a quick situation like this, but um, short version is the, the, it's it's actually a lot more um, uh, it's a lot more settled throughout all of church history than we than we tend to think it is. So um, the the scriptures have been the scriptures from the get go. Um, there there was certainly a time uh, three four hundred uh, A.D. when um, council got together and settled on these books on paper, right? And it became like a. But um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for instance, right? Well, what about the other gospels or? How do we know that those are gospels and that that there shouldn't just be three gospels or two that are correct or whatever? Um, well, the the sh short answer for that is because the the um, they've always been the gospels. The the early church, even including the the first century church, um, those are the four gospel accounts that they considered scripture, that they considered. Um, uh, thing, word of God that could be taught as word of God. Um, the other gospels that you might hear about, um, are, uh, laughably, um, incoherent or, uh, man, just making stuff up left and right and, um, all sorts of weird stuff. And so, um, they, they don't fit. And, and not only that, but, um, uh, there, there's no connection at all to an actual apostle um, and uh, a lot of these other things. So, uh, scripture, so there, there are, um, it's an easier question for the old Testament than for the new, um, at least a, a less com complicated answer, uh, because even in the time of Christ, Jesus was quoting old Testament as scripture. He was referring to the law and the prophets, um, uh, and, and the writings were referred to in the new Testament. And those were the three categories of scripture back then. They were the law, the prophets and the writings, not in the same order that our, uh, Bible is necessarily in the old Testament, but, um, but Jesus never quotes from the Apocrypha. Right. Jesus never quotes from the Maccabees books or whatever, because no one considered those things as authoritative scripture. Um, they're decent for history. 
and that kind of thing, maybe, uh, gleaning some things about the time. Uh, but I wouldn't treat them any differently than I would treat the writings of Josephus, which is historical accounts, certainly things we can learn about culture and what was going on at the time. Um, but, uh, but as far as being something that's authoritative and treated as the word of God, we can't, that, that doesn't make sense to even attempt to, to make the case. Um, this is why the, the, uh, my view uh, with the Apocrypha, Roman Catholicism added that to the Bible out of spite, frankly, and, and called it scripture simply because it was being uh, bucked against by, by um, Protestant types. Um, so uh, the, the New Testament is a little bit trickier and you have to know things a little bit more. Um, I think, uh, first of all, a lot quicker to answer or, or a lot better to answer this question in, in a way that is not as, um, quick and, and, um, not able to be robust. Uh, look up Michael Kruger, um, online, um, YouTube videos. He has a website too. Um, Michael Kruger is a, is the man when it comes to this kind of question. Um, super intelligent. That's what his life work is about. Um, and and he and he talks on a level that that anybody can understand which i really appreciate too he's not like speaking in code or anything um if you if you want to learn um, more about it uh, from someone who talks a little bit higher you could talk to james about james white as well a little bit um and some of his debates about scripture but uh but michael kruger is a super good dude to to um reach out for and listen to and, and watch videos of on this subject. But, um, short answer is because the, the books in the new Testament are, are legitimately and, uh, um, attested by all of history to have been connected with the actual apostles of, um, of Christ with, with the apostles that he, um, tasked with, um, binding and loosing, right? With with giving us the scriptures that we have, and so um, that that's the shortest answer. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, and that's what I would direct you to. There's a lot of if you're if you're wanting like a a real good sort of intro to it, as far as because what you're essentially asking is canonical. It's a canonical question. How do we know that the Bible is? Uh, are the, the scriptures that should be followed. And so at the base of that question, what you're asking is a canonical question. How is the canon formed? What is it? I mean, there yep. are, there are people that have grown up in church their whole life that were never, I, I was never taught that. I wasn't, I wasn't a person that was like, the Bible was dropped out of the sky. But most of the people, if you ask in church, aren't going to be able to give you a real good walkthrough of, yep. of, of how they have the text they have in their hands. So uh, Michael Kruger is a great one. I would honestly, if you look up any debate as far as the, uh, I, I would urge, I would urge people to probably look up debates on Canon because that's going to really flush out a lot of the questions that you have. And maybe yeah. some of the questions you didn't think you had are going to come up in those. Um, the, 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 honestly, the debate that isn't a debate yet that I'm aware of, but I would really like to see is Bart Ehrman versus Michael Kruger. I think that would be a really good debate, um, in regards to Canon because they're going to, they have in totally opposite views on that entirely. Um, somebody that I would recommend that you probably haven't heard of, if you guys are looking, his name is Wesley Huff. 
Uh, he does a lot of manuscript dating and stuff like that. We had, a, I had a conversation with him uh, on the channel too. You can probably find that video if I remember. I'll link it in the description, but if not, it's definitely on the channel. And um, he, he does a lot of manuscript dating and stuff, and he talks a lot about canon as well. A lot of the, uh, the, how the canon was formed and what that looks like. And dude's super smart. Uh, does apologetics in Canada, so I would just look him up. He's very helpful. Um, but what you're essentially asking and what, what you will eventually come down to when you're exploring this question is you will get to how is the canon formed. And that's the important part you're looking at what you know how was that done what were the requirements for the books that were eventually decided on like rob said the torah part um and the law and the prophets was the easier one because they were just basically adopted and brought over uh the, what you're looking for after that is um you know how were the new testament documents and you're, you're going to have and this this is why i say eventually it's a canonical question you are going to see that there is a very distinct line between people that don't hold to um like they'll find all sorts of reasons why not to include certain books as far as dating and things because there are like that that's essentially what it comes down to when were these letters written and can we determine the legitimacy of the letters and the authenticity of them and that's why i suggest wesley huff the dude does a, a lot of really good work on manuscript dating and how manuscripts are dated and what that looks like. And he was very informative. I thought he, the work he does is really helpful because he doesn't just deal with the manuscripts of the new Testament. He demonstrates how all like ancient manuscripts are dated and that informs the sort of work behind the other, the other letters. So I look him up for sure, but essentially that's what you're going to come to on that. So how do we know that all of them are again, you can't answer that in this short thing, but what you, what I would encourage you to do is uh, do canonical research because um, that's going to help you a ton in regards to answering that question. So is there anything you have to add on? I know you're like, you're, you're, you're typing away over there. So I didn't want to go into the next question yet. Um, I, I would get, get on YouTube, start here based on the actual words in your question about, um, is the Bible does, are there errors too? That was another part of the question. That's true. Yeah. Um, I would I get, get on YouTube and search Michael Kruger. That's Michael, like the honest use pastor and K R U G E R Kruger, just like it sounds. Um, and then, uh, Michael Kruger, biblical inerrancy. Um, and you're gonna, there's a whole list of videos that, that you'll eat up. Yeah. No, he does a lot of good work. I'm actually, I don't think he has his own channel, which I wish he did. A lot of the, all the videos that I've seen are like secondary things that other people have uploaded. I really wish he had a centralized location for his stuff. But. Um, well he does. It's a website though. Okay. Yeah. But Michael Kruger dot something or. Yeah. Let's see. MichaelJKruger.com. Okay. You got to know you the could man's middle up. initial. <laughs> you can't find him. <clears throat> you could you could also look up Cannon Fodder. That's that's the, right. That's his whole yeah. Yeah. Um, Cannon one in in the middle. Fodder two D's in the middle. If you look that up in Google, you'll get right to Michael Kruger's website. 
All right. So let's go ahead and move on to the next question. I think that's, we'll just, we're, 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 we're resources pointing you to other resources. That's my entire goal in life. It's just to point out people, <laughs> other people. Yeah. Especially uh, for some of these questions. Some of them are just not answerable in a short time. Exactly. Like this, so. Yeah. All right. Next question. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't choose and chooses in quotes not to sin. It's just how humans are. So why do we deserve hell for the way we are, for the way God created us? Ooh, okay. I've got some. Okay. Uh, I know before the fall we were perfect, but clearly we weren't if we sinned by eating the fruit. Ah! All right. You got any uh, intros to that or you want to go? Uh, well, you, you said, I mean, I could go, but you said okay. it first. So I, I think... So this seems to be, and I think this may come down to the reality that we just, either we don't preach on it enough or we don't pe preach clearly on it enough. That in the garden, it, there was, you, have, you have choice. You have the ability to rebel or not rebel, to love God or not love God. And um, in the garden, what we see is s Satan in... Uh, tempting and lying and then believing the lie and choosing to rebel against God, knowing what he had already said, um, also misconstruing what he had said when asked the question, and then choosing to to rebel against him. So this idea, the reason I said when I, what I said when I said it was, so why do we deserve hell for the way we are, for the way God created us? The, the assumption to the statement is that God created you already broken, which is not, not what scripture demonstrates. You have a choice, but just because you choice does not, is not an indicator for sin. You can have choice without sin. And what you see happening is they're giving a choice that then leads into sin and rebellion. And that's the glorious, I mean, this is the glorious part about the new creation and new earth. There is that that will be done away with the, I mean, that will not be a thing anymore. And so we have God giving Adam and Eve this choice to, to, to stay in right relationship with him or not to stay in right relationship with him. They choose not to do that. So that is not indicative of that they were already sinful. They choose not to do that, fall into sin, then put all of us and creation <laughs> into that same boat with them. Um, and then what we do see later on, to go back to the beginning of the question, I don't see, I don't know about you, but I can't choose not to sin. That That's the assumption. I am going to defaultly sin. And so there's two parts to this. What we see in scripture is that you, we are slaves to sin. I wish I had the, my memory is terrible. I preached a sermon recently on this. You can go back and listen to that. That'll have, but we, we're, we're slaves to sin. But when we are when we are in Christ, we're freed from that slavery. We now have a choice to to are we going to follow Him or are we going to 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 follow sin? And it's this is this knowledgeable choice we now have. Um, man, I really wish I had a memory that was worth anything. I w wish I could pull those up. But the point is that you're not a slave to sin anymore. So the choice to sin is yours. You can now choose, am I going to do this thing or am I not going to do this thing? There's sins of omission, commission. We could get as that a, whole conversation. As but, a Christian. Yeah, exactly. And this is what yeah. we see. We see Paul. I mean, for example, I love to point out the Corinthian church because these, these, these people, he refers to his brothers and sisters, but they clearly are, they're not, 
they are not fully realizing the freedom they have in Christ. They're still choosing to be in bonds to their slavery. And when he writes to them, he's telling them, you have freedom. You don't have to do this. Like you have freedom yeah. in Christ. You're not slaves to sin anymore. And so this idea that you can choose not to sin, there is a freedom in a believer's life that you can get up and say, okay, today I am, I am going after God with all that I have, that I, the ability I have within me with the help of the Holy Spirit to be free in Christ. Does that mean you're not going to sin? No, but that does mean there are times in the day where you have a distinctive choice to do something, you know, you're not supposed to do or to, or to, to, to fall in. Um, to be slaves to righteousness, as Paul puts it. So I, I just think there's a lot of underlying things to this question theologically that are off. Because as believers, we do have a choice to follow Christ or not follow him. Um, we're not defaultly, like God did not create you sinful. That is a choice that you were born into from Adam and Eve. And yep. so he does have all the right to send, to send any of us to hell uh, because we are... We are in rebellion to him, and we are uh, we are slaves to that rebellion. But we we, we joyfully march into that rebellion, uh, even when we uh, and we, we we reap the consequences of that. I suppose. But I, I just wanted to cover those couple things. God did not create you sinful, and as a believer, you do have the choice to follow. Uh, be a slave to righteousness or be a slave to sin. As Paul puts it, I can't remember if it's in Ephesians or Romans, but it's one of those two. Yeah. When, when we think about free will, right, which is another maybe aspect of the question, right? Choosing um, not to sin. Uh, when, when we talk about free will, um, the, there, there is a sense in which we have free will. Um, even the most Calvinistic confessions in in history have sections about free will. The difference is this: in in as an unbeliever, and the way that this question is phrased leads me to believe that this is either um, going to be a very young believer who who is just trying to think through these things for the first time, or an unbeliever who is just confused about the whole thing and um, frustrated that that we would even think that this is true. Um, and, and I don't know which one that is. And for the, the answer to the question, it doesn't really matter really, but, um, the, the, the idea of free will is this, and that is that, um, you, you have free will. Um, and even in your slavery to sin as an unbeliever, you would have free will. It's, it's simply that your free will um, is, is bound to your sin nature, to, to who you are at the root. The root of who you are is sinner, is rebel against a holy God. And, and, um, Romans three actually really helps this, right? This is a, this is a picture of, of who uh, people are without Christ. Okay. Um, uh, verse, uh, nine in Romans chapter three, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Jews and Greeks is a way to say everybody are all under sin as it is written. There is and he begins quoting from the Psalms. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. 
all have turned aside together. Uh, together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Uh, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That last line is really the point. Um, that That is an accurate picture of the human heart um, before Christ that hasn't been changed by Christ. That's a definition of the heart of stone that you read about in Scripture. And um, so our free will is, is a thing. Um, however, uh, we freely choose in our sin nature because of who we innately are before Christ. We are freely choosing hell on the regular all the time. And, and so if I, uh, give up and say, I don't have a choice, but to sin, um, you know, uh, you could, you could say that that's true if you're an unbeliever, uh, because it's not that you're bound in handcuffs and forced to go, uh, uh indulge in sexual immorality. That's not how it works. You love your sin. You love every minute of it. You might not always love the effects that happen, right? Yeah, but, the side but effects. You but love, in the moment, you love it. Yeah, yeah. You love your sin, and and um and this is something that e what happens as you become a believer as as uh, that transition that when when the heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh, when uh, you're a, become a new creation, when you're born again, um, John three talks about that when when that happens um what has gone on in galatians 5 is helpful with this uh what has gone on is uh you have now been freed from that other nature so now i'm i'm not i'm not free uh uh i'm i'm no longer bound to that first nature which is um, to all to to remain a child of wrath, to remain a, a, a rebel against God, and and to love every minute of it. No one is in hell unwillingly. That's not how it works. Um, uh, Spurgeon said, "No one is ever, uh, no one will ever be in hell um, and be able to say that um, I went to Christ and He rejected me." Um, that this this is this is this is just how it works. If, if people are in hell someday, um, uh, Hades right now, then, um, it's because they loved their sin more than they loved God. They did not love God. They were haters of God. They were rebels. Their entire lives never changed. Um, and, uh, but when we become a Christian, when, when we've been given a new heart, that there's a new nature now. Um, Paul talks about it in Romans seven, that the old nature still is present and we're kind of at war with it right within us. But, um, but you do have a new nature there. There are, um, certain things that, that I will always be sinning, um, and not even realize it. Um, uh, but, but like if I, um, if I, uh, get home and, uh, um, 
my son disobeys me in a very blatant way and I punch him in his face. That was me choosing to sin, right? I, I, and it's not that I could have, uh, that I, I didn't have a choice there, right? Um, God, God doesn't force me to sin. That's the whole point. I love sin. And so um, when, when, um, when I choose, and that, that's an extreme example, obviously, but just to make a point, when, in, that, in that example, if I, if I chose to hit my son, it was in my own free will that I did that. Um, not, not because I'm, I'm bound to, uh, in, in handcuffs by God who's forcing me and, and the devil either, right? The devil didn't make you do it. You wanted to do it. Um, well, yeah. But, can I think underneath that just to kind yeah. of explore that a little bit more to make it maybe if, if to make it more understandable, like f- for five-year-olds like myself, like underneath that, when I, I think there's when you say you love yours, if somebody might say, well, you love your sin, but you don't, you love punching your kid. No, I think the underneath isn't the love punching the kid part. It's the, the love for power and the love for like, like you, there's something Ew. underneath your driving that right. In that extreme example, it's not yeah. that like, you're, you're like, Oh, I'm going to like, you know, I just love hitting people. It's really that desire underneath that for you're still doing something. Cause you're still bound to sin. You still want your authority, your power, your whatever, and that's what drives those things, even in those instances. And that's why you're still bound to that sin, because it's still about you. Yeah. Yeah, without even talking about the 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 actually physical abuse analogy, even even when and I said this um from the pulpit a few weeks ago, it was relevant to the text we were in. And um uh, when when I uh, so I have two sons at home, um, and they sin, right? I mean they're they're people, right? Um, and so there, there are times that they do not honor their father and mother. And, um, and so, but there are times that my reaction to that is, is frustration or anger, maybe not an outburst where I punch them in the face, obviously, but, but anger and frustration. And, and so in that moment, am I angry because they've sinned against God by sinning against me? Um, or am I angry because they've sinned against almighty me and how dare they? Right. So even my communication of that. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the reaction of my heart, um, I have either sinned or it's righteous anger. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, I, this, this is something that, of course, if you're a Christian, you're going to deal with this and struggle with it. That again, Romans seven, Paul is a is a beautiful picture of even the apostle Paul admitting that man he's not perfect and he struggles with this and he hates it. He hates his sin, which is the difference between a Christian and a non Christian. Um, an unbeliever wallows in the filth. And, and loves the sexual immorality in our nation because it frees me up to do whatever I want as well. Um, uh, however, the, the Christian, even when indulging in sin, even when they find themselves failing, they hate it. They hate that they find themselves failing. Um, yeah, and that's, that's the mark. Very important. Of- yeah, that's an important difference. And when I've done, I mean, I know you've probably done this quite a bit more just being in your position, but when I have had the opportunity to do some sort of pastoral counseling in that regard, 
that's a pretty good indicative indicator of where you're at. Like, is there a sense of repent, like a true repentance for, for this sin, or is it like you just are just brazenly unapologetic for, for this iniquity that's happened? And I mean, I've had instances within the last two weeks of two different individuals that model that perfectly in regards to people that declare themselves to be Christians, but one is just gleefully joyful about the sin that they've that they've walked right into and the other one is broken and repentant about it and that that's a great indicative indicator of that like you're just your underlying basic understanding of how this works and what that looks like so yeah excellent all right let's get into let's see last question for this episode okay okay we get (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, this is directed at me, but I, but we we fall in the same this, line here. This but, worries me. Okay, I haven't even read the whole thing. I just read the first sentence, and I I already know it's directed toward me. But okay, so we get that you don't affirm LGBTQ plus ideas, but that doesn't mean you get to post memes that make fun of people every day. <laughs> are there? Uh, are how do, how do you deal with this knowing that there are LGBTQ plus people within the Christian community? So obviously that's directed at me specifically, but we could reword it to where it, it also dudes, if you are not watching the video podcast right now, you are so missing out on Rob's. I just, and I say this on the regular, you're missing out on seeing Rob's facial reactions to some of these things. So I'll answer it first because it's directed at me. And then you, you can kind of, I, 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 cause you could still reword it in a way that would work for you. So, uh, so yes, no, I think it's pretty well, um, it's documented that I'm not affirming at all. Uh, so I don't think anyone would ever have a question about that. There's plenty of proof. There's plenty of proof to indicate that. Uh, so why do I, why am I okay posting memes that uh, I don't, I don't think I post memes that necessarily make fun of them, but I do post memes that are pretty on point in regards to calling out the hypocrisy that I see in the idea that you can openly uh, practice things that are against scripture and call yourself a Christian. So, um, so why do I think that's okay? There are people within the uh, their thing. There, there are people within the Christian community that identify this way. So he- here's my thing. Um, I'm the scriptures point out a number of times in, in which, uh, we'll just go with Nathan and David, uh, cause that's, that's, that's been in my mind recently because of the things that have been on the internet. There are, there are things consistently in which there are people within communities or within, uh, different, you know, narratives in the Bible that are doing things that are not of God. And people are either sent letters or sent prophets to call them out on that. So David, you know, being called out by Nathan or Paul calling out the Corinthians or Jesus calling out the Pharisees, whatever you want to. I mean, there's a thousand different examples you could use. The The reason I post specifically the things I post is because uh, I, I want and, and memes are a great way to do this because there's not a lot of nuance and you can do it within comedy is a great way to demonstrate the hypocrisy and stupidity of ideas that are just dumb. So the idea of that, and I've done this before, I've posted, for example, I've put Mark Driscoll, uh, John MacArthur, Doug Wilson's head on the golden calf and put, you know, because they have followings that are, you just worship these guys, you eat up everything they say. So it's the same genre. So to think that you can, for example, uh, call yourself 
a, a follower of Christ, but yet revel in the things that Christ clearly, uh, throughout scripture has demonstrated are not of him is, is asinine to me. <laughs> and that's why I'm totally okay making fun of you. Because, uh, if, if somebody wants to, for example, say that I am, I, if they, if they want to say that I'm an LGBTQ plus Christian, uh, the, the, I think you're playing, no, so you're, many, you're playing so many word games to try to make that sound good. Just like you were saying, if like some people are legitimately like MacArthur apologists, like they will define, defend MacArthur's words over the scripture every day. And it's the same problem, different example. If, mm-hmm. if at any point you do not submit yourself to the word of God, uh, and, and, and say that he is right. I am wrong, regardless of how I feel about the situation. Um, then, then you're in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. If I do that, the conversation I had, well, it was very brief, but, uh, with somebody recently that I know that, um, that he, he cheated on his wife and now he's shacking up with this girlfriend and he calls himself a Christian because he's super happy and in love. Now you're not a Christian and you're an idiot. So repent now. And it's the same sort of thing that happens over and over again within scripture that people have to be called out on. We all have to be called out on it, depending on what it is. And that's the that's what I do with these memes. So if you say you're an LGBTQ plus Christian, uh, I don't know if it's this episode or the last one, but we've answered the question. I love you. I want you to know Christ. I want you to come to a saving knowledge of him and submit yourself to the transforming power of what he does in your life. But you cannot say I'm going to willingly live in sin against the. And you can argue every direction you want to on the scriptures to make them say what you think they say. I, I've, I've looked at everything. I, you cannot convince me of this. Um, it is either submitting yourself to Christ or not submitting yourself to Christ. And that's what it comes down to. And it's the same thing I, I, I have said and would say to my friends that are in adultery. It's the same thing I would say to people that think that you, uh, you, you know, <laughs> that MacArthur or Driscoll or whoever, uh, their word is above scripture and whatever they say goes. Or, or those who, who are honest youth pastor groupies who, if there who, are those, you know, yes, <laughs> if there, if those, if those people exist, uh, uh, that is a very niche area if that's the case, <laughs> but, but it's the same thing. I mean, it comes down to, you are either going to read the word and submit to it, or are you going to try to jump through a thousand different hoops to justify your belief uh, when it would just be easier to submit yourself to Christ. So that that's the long answer to that. There are people, yes, that identifies LGBTQ plus that are in, in Christian communities, but I would submit that, um, you're holding on to something. Um, you're holding on to an identity in yourself over an identity in Christ. And, um, there's a lot more we could go into that. I know a lot of people that struggle with same sex attraction, but have submitted that to Christ and are living, uh, with the hope that one day they will be freed from that, but knowing that if they aren't, they still live in submission to Christ, uh, regardless of that, and are faithfully serving in their churches with with in that capacity. Um, and I, in the same regard, and I keep I want to make sure that we we we're consistent. I know people that struggle with lust hardcore, want that to be gone, but submit that to Christ every single day, and are serving in that capacity within the local communities. Uh, I know people that like, 
have grown up so patriotic that they really wish they could just make everybody top down, believe it, you know, follow the laws of God. But they have to submit that and understand that it's a bottom up mentality of making disciples first. Like there's all everybody has issues. Um, but it's yep. when you start putting that identity over the scripture. So anyway, that's a really long winded way to answer that question. But uh, I think dumb ideas need to be called out in ways that are very apparent. And that's what I try to do. <laughs> yeah. So I, I um, listened to a YouTube video um, on fast forward um, recently in which Sean McDowell um uh had interviewed the I, I don't know his name i forget his name but the the guy who one of the main guys who's behind the babylon b um okay i don't know his name either but yeah so he interviewed this guy and and one of the questions that sean asked him uh was so how how do we justify how do you justify um using satire um and and which is sort of a make fun of uh, if you've ever seen anything from the Babylon Bee, right? That's all they do, um, and, and which is a, a make fun of kind of a thing. Um, how do you how do you justify that? Um, you know, and in some it, it it they do it pretty equally. They make fun of Christian uh, things that are inconsistent or goofy or whatever or just cultural funny things or uh and and they make fun of the the world things that are going on as well the the politics and that sort of stuff um so the question the question had to do similar was a similar question to what was asked um here um and and he references uh that there i don't remember the whole conversation but one of the things he does is he references the script the scriptures in which um, you actually do see that. You see examples of that. I think uh, every time you hear Christ say to the Pharisees, have you not read, is an example of Christ going, hey, you know you're stupid, right? Yeah, he knows like, that, you, right? you know, they know it. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what you're, just, what you're asserting is stupid, right? Like this, this, is, this is what Jesus is saying to, to them, and he's doing it on purpose, and this is why they get mad at him all the time, because he makes them look like fools. Um, now, I so I think that um, the the big thing is the heart behind again the heart behind this. Uh, um, it if if your heart is hateful, it's going to come across like that, right? It, you're going to show yourself in that way, um, and and I don't think that you you'll be able to mask it um, that well. If if however. I'm attempting to show, I don't do it with memes, but I, I certainly do it with my words and, and conversations that I have and, um, and even preaching, um, I, the other day from the pulpit, um, I, I was talking about something or other, I forget even what it was. And I, um, not in the notes, but in the moment, I just said, I'm not, I'm not a biologist and then kept going. Right. I mean, we, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. um, we here's why I think we have a license to do that. First of all, because um, there there are examples of people doing that in Scripture, examples of uh, the writers of Scripture doing this even right and and that sort of thing. Old Testament and New Testament. It's something that is 
um, that is used at times. Well, you have that um, classic line. Where is he? Where's Bell? Is he on the toilet? Is that where he is? Is he sleeping? Is yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that that's maybe the the most famous one. In fact, that's one of the examples that that Babylon B guy used. Right. Um, and um, so there, there are examples of it in Scripture. And why? Why? What is the chief reason that people use those kinds of sarcastic uh, uh, things or memes in, in this case or satire in the Babylon B's case or whatever? Uh, why use sarcasm and and that sort of stuff? Um, well, I, I think the sh the shortest answer is that one of the things that Christians are tasked to do, um, I think, based even on the ministry of Christ, is to put on display that the absolute ignorant um, stupidity, absurdity of of godless ideologies of uh, this is what presuppositional apologetics is all about um is the idea that um so uh, if you're an atheist for instance your your viewpoints have no bearing it does not matter what you think or how smart you are you have no reason to have the views that you do if you're a, 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 a random clump of stardust, right, then who gives the slightest crap what you think? Who cares? You could be wrong about everything. Um, and, and, and so the Christian, however, has, has a final authority that we answer to, that we, that we say is the final authority. And, and, and so we are the only humans that have legs to stand on. And um, so I think that one of one of the great uh, difficulties as a believer is finding the balance between what we're talking about here, um, putting on display the absurdity of, uh, of views and different things like that, while at the same time being sympathetic and caring and gospel proclaiming to people who are struggling with some of those views or who maybe have never heard the absurdity of these views or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, just to interject real quick, that's a balance yeah. that you kind of have to learn because here's the thing. There are going to be people that you want to be gentle with, like you do want to show grace and mercy to, that are so caught up in the absurdity they're, they aren't going to listen to gentle and grace in the moment they're in. They need to see the absurdity first. So you are sure. going to, I mean, that, that's the tact I take. You can pretty much tell where people are coming from by the words they use to interact with you. So if you come and I, I can pretty much tell that you're so caught up in the absurd, like you are, you like, that is your default. You need the absurdity mm -hmm. pointed out to you first. So yes, the, the words are going to be a little harder at first because you need to see how stupid your idea is. And then as we kind of walk through that and show the absurdity of it, yeah, there's a lot of gentle and grace there. And then we can walk through that. But until that wall is broken down of just, <laughs> of just, you, I mean, I, I can be as gentle and kind as I want to somebody, but if they think that, uh, I can be a, a woman just because that's how I think I'm wired. Then there's an absurdity level there that I have to break down first before I can actually demonstrate grace and mercy. Because you don't, you don't see it. You don't even see it as a problem, and that has to yeah. be demonstrated before you can even be talked to in a reasonable manner. Yeah, 
Um, and and I think so. Just to just to demonstrate an absurdity that's obscure, I think even in evangelicalism right now, there's a there's a whole wing of people who are attempting to claim. So you, I'm sure that you're culturally aware. I'm sure you've heard of the side B arguments. And I have. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So so this the one of the major ideas and themes that comes from that is that there are people who are arguing that. Um, it, it is uh, that homosexuality, for instance, is a is a sinful thing to engage in. But uh, we all have uh, difficult desires and leanings towards sin. And so those things are are maybe expected or that they're they're uh, something that is is not a controlled thing. You haven't sinned. You're uh, whatever. Right. Um, so there's a whole argument. Is that is that true to your understanding of it? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, and you may be getting into this. I think that totally lacks an understanding of freedom in Christ, like being freed from. But yeah, I think I figure that's the way you were going. But yes, that's an accurate description to my understanding. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill that with one verse, okay, and and display the absurdity of it. Ironically chapter five of Galatians, which begins with, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Um, but, but he's just been talking about, um, the, uh, walking by the spirit and, and what, what that looks like as a Christian and that, that your life should look different than it did before, that the fruits of your flesh look, um, painfully different than the fruits of the spirit. Right. And as he, as he's finishing up this chapter, he, he makes a point. Um, he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, uh, um, and Christ himself makes clear if, if uh, that what, what is inside is what creates what is outside. So if there's evil in my heart, if there's, not to say that I don't have evil desires and struggles, we all do, but I cannot per scripture make a claim that my evil desires are somehow not evil, that that's okay. I don't need to deal with that. I don't need to pray for uh, liberation from that for, from, for God. Uh, so um, just with that one verse, <laughs> right, we can see the absurdity of the other of that argument. And, and you, you would have to explain away that verse, some things Jesus said, other things in scripture, you'd have to explain things away to make your case. And, and if you're, if you're having to explain things away or change things in scripture, change clear meanings in scripture to come to your conclusion, um, or ignore scripture, uh, then, then your idea is by definition absurd and not based on truth. And so, uh, in, from, from that standpoint, it becomes my duty as a Christian to, um, certainly have a different, uh, uh, interaction if it's a one-on-one -on -one with someone struggling with something, but publicly, um, one of the great callings of the Christian is to not indulge in conversation and try to convince, but to say, you know, you know, this is stupid, right? Yeah. I mean, I think. I think that's a good point. There is this very declarative statement made publicly 
and then it's worked yeah. out within the one-on-one conversations, right? So yeah, I, I think that's the biggest, that that is a huge distinction that I think a lot of people don't really see very well. And something that honestly, the longer I've read the page that I have to do, like that I've noticed that like there's, there's obviously, you can make declarative statements that are true. And then when you have these conversations, you work out more of the nuanced in that. But to your point, I, I this, this is going a little long, but to your point um, there, I think what's unfortunately happened is that because of culture more than anything, that Christians have sort of been like, oh, well, when God says you're a new creation, that's just kind of like a kind of new creation. Like that's not, you haven't been given in a totally renewed mind and renewed heart. Right. And um, like just because, and I think this is where the, a lot of people have confused just because it doesn't all change right away, right? Oh, you're just magically better and you don't, you just magically don't feel these ways anymore. Does, isn't, isn't, um, doesn't mean that that's not possible. The more people I talk to that say, well, it's just not possible to be freed from this, that, or the other. Like, what kind of God do you think you serve, man? Like you don't think that he could take that. Now, again, I mean, we see like with Paul, right? Saying the thorn in his flesh, there's clearly things that God leaves. And Paul, Paul reasons that being that he's left that there for a reason then not so he can indulge in whatever the thorn in the flesh is, but rather so he's reminded of his need for Christ. So this idea that there's still a sin in your life, right? Or this thing that you struggle with, it doesn't mean, oh, well, it's just a thing then rather it's, it's there to remind me just how much I need the Lord because without him, I would go full on indulgence in this. And the reality is that I can be freed from it. I'm seeking to be freed from it. But if I'm not, it's to the glory of God. And that's that unfortunately is not the mindset. The, it, well, it hasn't changed, so I'm not going to pray for it to change anymore. Okay. What kind of... What does the spirit do for you if if not sanctify you? I mean, like, what, what kind of just... I, I don't mean to mean it, be insulting here, but what kind of weak God do you think you serve that isn't able... I mean spoke everything into existence, okay? Can hold the, the universe in the palm of his hand, right? The psalmist. And, and you don't think that he can take that from you. And this just doesn't add up. Like, it just does not add up. So it's this idea that if it is still there, the logical theological reasoning is for his glory and for your growth. And so to default to, well, I just can't get rid of it. Like, I must, I should do yeah. it then. It just doesn't make sense. Michael, I'm going to ask you one question in closing. And I think you know the answer. Okay. Um, and hopefully this clears up what you've just been talking about even more. Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Boom! <laughs> Good deal. So guys, hopefully that was helpful to you. If you're even madder at me now, well, it was inevitable anyway. So I'm not, I mean, sorry. You, you were, you were predestined to me. Woo. Okay. So, so thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. Bye.